Good morning, everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through to 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Andrew, for the reading this morning. Um, let me add my greeting to Mark's as well. Thank you for being here with us this morning on this very wet day, especially if you're visiting with us, perhaps, or this is your first time. Very glad to have you along with us today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will have a look at that passage in Ecclesiastes 3 together. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world offering dreams, diversions, and delusions, but your word offers us a much-needed dose of reality. Please let your word be a lamp to our feet 
and a light to our path now, so that we may see clearly how to walk in step with your Holy Spirit as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in his name. Amen. Friends, I want to put it to you this morning that we have a time problem. A time problem. It's a time problem that can't be fixed by Doctor Who, by Back to the Future's Marty McFly, or Loki's Time Variance Authority, pick the relevant time-traveling superhero. It's also not a time problem that can be fixed with a gentle reminder that church starts at 8.30 on a Sunday morning. No, our time problem is actually that we have a problem with time. In fact, we are rebels against time. I don't just mean the the way our hackles go up when we get the notification on our phone or our computers that says we have to be somewhere at a particular time. No, we are rebels against the idea of time and the control it has over our lives. Just imagine for a moment that you had a remote control which could control time. Who of us wouldn't wouldn't want to hit pause on the greatest moments of our lives, the best moments, that holiday, perhaps, or that relationship, a wedding day, the first few weeks of the life of our newborn child, or perhaps when we feel like we've made it in life, Just hit pause and stay there forever. Or perhaps we'd like to keep rewinding to better times, hitting the replay button over and over. The first years of a marriage, a time before loss, a time when we were healthier or fitter, a time when we had more money and fewer bills, or just less responsibility and more freedom. Keep rewinding, keep reliving those moments rather than what we're going through right now. Or maybe we'd like to fast forward past the really tough times when we're having cash flow issues, when there seems to be just too much going on or when we're sick. I mean, if you were in COVID isolation, who wouldn't have wanted to hit the fast forward button and just get to the end of the seven days so you could get out again? Just get through the difficult times a bit quicker. Maybe we'd want to take that remote control and speed things up, whether it's the long, slow, monotonous days of old age or the frustrating waiting of youth, waiting for the the better things to happen, the bigger and better things. And for some, of course, we wish life just had a big square stop button and things all get too much, just too overwhelming that we could just hit stop. Of course, the scariest button on our imagined remote remote control is the big one in the middle, the right-facing triangle, the play button, the one that makes life just play out at normal speed with all its ups, all its downs, out of our control. That, I think, is the scariest button because the idea of time just running as time needs to be scares us. Now, please do have a Bible open with you at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It'd be very helpful to you and me if we could follow along together. Ecclesiastes 
There's also an outline on the service sheet if you'd like to take notes. And we're under our first heading about life's ticks and tocks. And here in the first verses of the chapter, the preacher turns his attention to time as part of his research project into what's worth living for. Remember, he's looked at possessions, he's looked at pleasure, he's looked at work to see if there's something in these things that is worth living for, that can give life meaning. In verse 1, right at the outset, he tells us what he's concluded about time. This one, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And his reflections then lead him to write a poem about this reality of time. And I suspect that's because he doesn't just want to get a dose of reality into our heads. He also wants to get a dose of reality into our hearts where it counts. He wants us to feel the truth about time. Now, of course, the words of verse 2 to 8 are well known. It's a poem. Uh, Those of a certain generation will recognize a hit by psychedelic folk band The Birds uh, back in 1965, or if you, like me, grew up watching Forrest Gump. Incidentally, uh, if we take that Solomon wrote these words in 950 BC, this song holds the record as being the pop hit with the oldest lyrics. Excuse that in your next pub trivia night. And yes, you can stop singing the song in your head now. But this is a carefully structured poem. It's a thought-out poem. It's considered. And it describes what's the natural ebb and flow of time over the course of life. We know it's about time because the writer keeps repeating the word. In fact, it's there 30 times in eight verses. I think we're meant to notice that. And each verse sets up a parallel contrast between two opposites. And as it does, it creates creates a kind of rhythm. I wonder if you noticed that as Andrew was reading it. There's a rhythm, a time for this, a time for that. A time for this, a time for that. It's a rhythm like the ticking of a clock or or a heartbeat or even perhaps like the breath the hevel that the preacher keeps coming back to. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. Because at the end of the day, it's all just breath. This is what time is like, though. It's a constant, constant motion of an endless rhythm until we stop breathing and then we die. Now, I don't think we're meant to dive too deeply into finding meaning in each of the the verses here, each of the things that he sets up against one another, or even to agree or welcome everything that's mentioned here. These, These are honest observations. They're not rules or judgments. A time for war, a time for hatred doesn't describe what should be or ought to be. It just describes what is. A time for rain time for sunshine. It's coming, I'm I'm told. Time for the liberals. A time for labor. And that's really the point, to realize that this is just what life is like under the sun, in creation, under the curse 
This is the truth about time, that no matter what we do, time simply marches on. We can't slow it down. We can't pause it. We can't rewind it. We can't fast forward. We can't stop time. In fact, the only option is to let time play out and let the pendulum of life under the sun swing freely between its ticks and its tocks. Because for everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. But why does this frustrate us so much? Why do we tend to want to wring out of time more than time can offer us? Why do we tend to want to rebel against the constraints and limits of time? Why do we struggle to simply just be content with being leaves carried along by the streams of time? In fact, why is, why is sheer fatalism such an unsatisfying solution? Well, this is our, our second heading uh, in verse 9 to 15. And just remember... The preacher is no secular atheist. The world he observes doesn't just exist under the sun, as he said in verse 1. It also exists under heaven, under a holy God who not only created the world, but also cursed the world in judgment on sin. So the world of the preacher, the world he sees, is a post-Genesis 3 world. And he's acutely aware of it, and he, he recognizes the twin realities of God's creation on the one hand and his curse on the other. And so the answer he gives as to why we are rebels against time, why we find time so difficult to deal with, is actually because of what God has given to humanity. Please have a look with me at verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, of course, this this observation reflects what we've looked at in previous passages about work. But the thing to notice here is that God is the giver. He is the source of everything. Everything traces its origin back to God. even the activity that fills out our time. But with that in mind, then listen to verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. You see the problem. Let's outline it. First of all, he has made everything beautiful in its time. If something is beautiful, it can be appreciated. And so the preacher is confident that because of who God is, if he does it, it's the very best thing at just the right time and for just the right reason. But why then do things often seem to us to be the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason or for a completely meaningless reason? Why can we so rarely appreciate what God allows to happen in our lives? Well, that brings us to the second part of verse 11. 
the also. Because not only has God made everything beautiful in his time, he's also put eternity into our hearts. Hearts, sadly, that are also under the curse of sin. God has put eternity into our hearts. We have some concept of time just beyond the present moment. We have a concept of forever. It's something that sets us apart from the animals. You know, think about your your pet dog who's just as happy to see you when you come back from holiday as when you come back in from taking the bins out. We have a concept of time and eternity and something beyond a forever. But the problem is while eternity whispers to us, we can't always work out what it's saying. It's like we can see, but at a certain distance, the vision gets fuzzy. But like if I take off my glasses. If you ever watched our live stream services, you'll have some idea of what, what this is like. You know, we've, we've got two cameras at the back there, one with a, a close-up shot of the lectern here and one with a wide shot of trying to get the, as much of the room in as possible. But even if we had the very best camera set up, you just can't give someone watching online a real experience of what's going on here in this room. They just can't see everyone in here from behind the camera. In fact, they, can't, they especially can't see the tech team who's faithfully serving behind the camera. Without actually being in the room with us, we can't, you can't truly appreciate what's happening in here. And without being able to stand alongside God from his vantage point over eternity, we can't truly appreciate how he is working out the very best in every situation we face in our time here on earth. And so we are creatures caught frustratingly between time and eternity. Sorry, Renee, I'm wondering if we should close those back doors just for the noise. That'd be great. Thank you. So yes, we're creatures caught frustratingly between time and eternity. And you know, if I, I think if we stop long enough and just let what the preacher's saying sink in, we'll actually realize what a confronting and challenging and deeply unsettling idea this is. Because let's be honest, some of the things we've faced in our time here on earth are anything but beautiful. Is the war in Ukraine, poverty and injustice, or watching a loved one slowly die of some incurable disease, the sin in our own lives. How are we meant to appreciate such things as being God's best? Would it make any difference if we could just see them from God's perspective with eternity in view? Well, Actually, says the preacher, yes, it would make all the difference in the world. And I think this is why these things matter to us, because we do have some kind of concept of eternities, things that matter in the big scheme of things. But we're just too limited to understand that, to see all of that clearly. And so we live in this tension between time and eternity. In fact, we're not just caught between time and eternity, are we? Actually, what we're caught between 
is between humanity and deity. Between being human and God being God. In other words, God is God and we are not. And as much as we might not like it, as much as we might rebel against it, there will always be, and there has always been, what we might call a mystery gap. A mystery gap between us and God. A gap that's full of questions, full of confusion, full of whys. Things we may never get answers to this side of heaven. But still, we must know that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Why? Because of who he is. Even if we don't understand it now, we need to rest in who God is and trust that he has made and will make everything beautiful in its time. One day we will understand. Now, I want to be real and recognize that some in this room are probably going through very difficult times right now, times that you would rather be able to fast forward past. You might have faced difficult times in the past, things that you definitely don't ever want to go back to, things you still don't understand and still don't have any answers for. Most of us will probably face times like this sometime in our lives. So what makes the preacher's statement of verse 11 any different from the pop psychology of positive thinking, of learning to see the beauty in everything. Well, the critical difference is this. What the preacher tells us, that in our confusion, in the mystery, we don't look to the situation for answers any more than we look inside ourselves for answers, as though we could figure it out. Remember, the preacher in chapter 2 has already pointed out that his wisdom the more he understands, the more frustrated he gets and the more despairing and depressed he gets because even his wisdom can't get him there. And so, yes, we don't look inside ourselves. We don't look to the situation. In fact, we look to God himself, the sovereign giver and creator who rules over all time forever and the times in our lives. And so the wise preacher perceives two things in verse 12 to 15 that shows us what this looks like of going to God in the mystery. Firstly, we're to simply and joyfully appreciate God's good gifts to us. So verse 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, there might be much that we don't understand, difficult times and good times. In all of that, we should appreciate the simple things in life, like food and work and drink and other things to nourish us, and opportunities to serve others, to do them good as good gifts from God. There's one more thing the preacher perceives. Not just that we're to simply and joyfully appreciate God's good gifts to us, but also that we are to reverently let God be God. 
He says, I perceive that whatever God does, verse 14, endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We have to remember, friends, that God is God and we are just not. What we do passes away like morning mist. What we do is usually incomplete in some way. It could usually be better. Not so with God. Everything he does is done perfectly and with the whole scope of eternity in view. There's nothing that surprises him that will derail his plans. And we're meant to recognize this about God and stand in awe of him. Standing in awe that everything he allows does have a beautiful eternal purpose that will be achieved and that nothing is ever beyond his reach. So just to summarize, what have we learned about time so far? Well, we've learned that as human beings, we live with the rhythms and the constraints of time and we just can't get away from it. We live with the seasons of time that we can't manipulate or alter in any way. And we've also learned that as human beings, we're caught between time and eternity so that in the mystery, we just have to let God be God. But is this enough? Is this enough to help us face the hard times, the difficult times, the tragic times, even the good times, the pleasant times, the peaceful times, the easy times? Perhaps not. Now, perhaps it does sound a little bit too much like the spiritualized uh, fatalism of the Muslim who floats through life declaring, inshallah, if God wills. But then again, the preacher is not interested in giving us easy answers. He's also not interested in giving us trite religious sentiments. He wants to show us the realities of life up close and for us to feel the tension and discomfort of life under the sun, under heaven, where God is God and we are not. He wants to humble us. He wants to expose us. He wants to exercise our minds and our hearts in this. And he wants us to go looking for answers. Which brings us to our third heading for this morning. Because if we want to know how human beings should relate to God, there's no one better to turn to than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might not realize that time is actually a significant theme in the Gospels. Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 14, uh, from verse 32. We'll spend the rest of our time there. Mark chapter 14, from verse 32 in the New Testament. As you turn there, it's worth keeping in mind that time is a significant theme in the Gospels. All the way through the Gospels, the writers are leading us to expect an hour, a time, when everything that Jesus came to earth to do will finally be fulfilled. 
We think about Jesus at the wedding at Cana when he had to tell his mother, it's not my time yet. Numerous times through the Gospels, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour had not yet come. And then finally it does. After the Last Supper, after Judas went out and Jesus and the disciples walked to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And please follow with me from Mark 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The hour has come. Verse 41. The darkest hour, perhaps the darkest hour in the history of the universe, has arrived. Jesus is distressed and troubled and sorrowful, even to the point where he wants to die. So he's willing to die, just not like he has to die the next day. That's what scares him. This is a time in his life he does not welcome. He asks that the hour might pass from him. If Jesus had the remote control, what button would he press? But what does he do? Well, he sees the good gift of prayer that God has given, and he uses it. Though he's the son of God, God the son, in his prayer, he lets his father be God. He knows that all things are possible with his father, And so he's bold to ask his father to change the times. He knows that he can do that. But he also knows that his father is at work in eternity and in this moment for something better. And though the moment remains unchanged, God strengthens Jesus for what he has to face. Sadly contrasted with the disciples, of course, in their hour of greatest need, 
When the gift of prayer was available to them, what did they choose to do? Well, they chose what was easy rather than what was best in that time. And in that hour, they failed. Now, as we pull all this together, we could conclude that the solution to our problem with time is just to pray more, like Jesus. Of course, you and I know we're not Jesus. We're far more like the disciples in the garden, aren't we? But just being told to pray more is not very satisfying when it comes to the times we face, is it? Uh, you know, we, and we can't just solve our rebellion with more effort. I've tried. I've got fantastic to-do apps and calendar apps on my phone. doesn't help. But thankfully, that's also not what the Bible teaches, that more effort is the solution. Because the darkest hour that Jesus faced was really the dark hour just before the brightest light of the greatest dawn. You know, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, in all his wisdom, he knew that God was up to something. He was able to rest in that, but he couldn't find it out from beginning to end. We might not have the wisdom of Solomon, but something greater than Solomon is here. We have Jesus revealed to us as God's promised king and rescuer. We know what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do from beginning to end. Fulfilling his plans in Christ to save his people and forgive our sins in Christ into eternity. In fact, to pardon rebels and make them his beloved children forever. In the gospel, God has proven that he does, in fact, make everything beautiful in its time, even by taking the greatest tragedy and turning it into the most fantastic victory. We want to know that God does, in fact, make everything beautiful in its time. We just have to look at the cross. And to trust that he does, we must look at the cross. Does this always give us the answers we want now? No, it doesn't. Does it help us ride the roller coaster of the ups and downs of our times? Well, it does. So as we are carried along by the unstoppable march of time under God, yes, we are to pray. In every moment, we're to pray to enjoy the gift of access to the creator of time itself. But we do that with the gospel in view of what God has done from beginning to end. And so with the gospel in mind, yes, we pray to thank God for the good times. With the gospel in mind, we pray for help in the hard times. With the gospel in mind, we pray for patience in the long times. With the gospel in mind, we pray for understanding in the confusing times. And with the gospel in mind, we pray that we might be able to see what God is doing in our time. 
And we can do this with the confidence that no matter what our times bring, and even if we're still left with questions and mystery, that our eternity is secure because of what God did in the Lord Jesus Christ in that hour. It's a faith echoed in the words of a famous hymn. And I wonder if the writer perhaps had Ecclesiastes in view as she wrote it. I need thee every hour. Enjoy all pain. Come quickly and abide. Or life is vain. Shall we pray? Our Lord and our God, our times are truly in your hands. Lord, in the ebb and flow of life, we pray that we would seek you with the confidence that comes from knowing what you have done for us in Christ. With the confidence that we are secure for eternity. When time shall be no more, that we shall be seated with you in glory. In the hour of pain, Father, help us to seek you. In the hour of sorrow, help us to seek you. In the hour of joy, help us to seek you. In the hour of mystery and confusion, help us to seek you. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to move towards the end of our service by responding to God's word in song. I'll draw your attention to the first.